Well, good morning. Our uh, children will be going to Children's Church this time, and uh, we'll just trust that God will really speak into their lives as they uh, share with Etta and, and their leadership. Well, it's good to be back. Uh, some of you might not know I was actually gone. That's what a few of the men at the men's breakfast said yesterday. Oh, we were gone. Um, some of you know that uh, our family went to uh, kind of a family tradition at Hume Lake and uh, spent about nine days there or so, and uh, it, was, uh, it was great because all of our family was there. We had our grandchildren, uh, the two that are out of the womb and one that's in the womb, and they were all there except for my oldest son who was actually in a project down in Florida. They had to take off and do some filming, and uh, that's what he does for a living and, and sound. Uh, but it was a great time being there, and for some of you, you're aware that this is one of the locations that I was temporarily unaware where I was at a moment of time, and uh, we don't use the L word in our family, but uh, that's where I did get lost uh, one time for a period of time. But we had a great time. It's a great opportunity just to do so many different things. There's a lake you can swim across. You can run around and jog for about three or four miles, uh, just getting uh, your blood flowing. You have uh, opportunities to have campfire gatherings with your family where you eat too many s'mores than you really should, uh, play games around uh, throughout the day. Uh, you can jump on logs and try to twirl them a little bit. We actually went down to Kings Canyon, if you're familiar with that area. And because of all the flooding or all the, the rain, the water was higher than I've uh, ever seen it before. And uh, so we did a lot of different hikings there and went to this lake, which, uh, not this lake, but this, this waterfall where it's called Roaring Rivers or something like that. And, and uh, at my wife's urging, we, we jumped in the water and swam to the, the waterfall despite the science that said, don't go swimming, you know, those kind of things. So we, we, we had a great time. I, I can't say necessarily that I'm more rested than when I left, but we, we did all kinds of things, and it was just an opportunity just to uh, get away and um, just enjoy God's creation and, and God's family in so many different ways that God has blessed us with. And one of the things that you may or may not know, at Hume Lake, not only do you have opportunities to do so many different things, but they, they offer a, a Bible conference in the evening. And so we often do that, and so as I was leaving... Uh, for uh, these vacation days, I was thinking, well, what should I preach on when I get back? And this is the first time I've ever done this, but I said, well, I'll just kind of, I'll, I'll, I'll try to set the example. Often when we, when we preach up here, we encourage you, particularly during our sermon uh, life groups, we encourage you to, to listen, you know, after the person actually preaches up there. And then during your Bible studies, you'll talk about what we've talked here. We also give you some questions and, and just to have active learning. And when you have active learning, one of the things you want to do whenever you hear someone preach is have a takeaway. And so often when I go to those uh, meetings, I, I will take copious notes. Uh, I'll just, because I find when I take notes, it allows me to, to remember more things. Now, if you've ever read anything I've written after I've written it by hand, I, I'm like you. I can't read anything I've read after a half hour. But, but I, I, I remember things. So I decided what I do this morning was to give you some takeaways from what I learned from 12 hours of preaching uh, while we were gone. And as I was preparing that, uh, I decided I'd give you copious notes for your outline. You might notice you have a blank sheet of paper there, which is more than we got up there. But uh, I, I gave you a title, Believing in What Really Matters. And what I want to talk about is believing in, in what really matters. Now, we at Grace Hills Church are, are all about pleading, encouraging, exhorting, praying, uh, doing whatever we can to help you desire to have faith, to, to really believe, to be convinced that your life can, can matter in much greater ways if you come to that point in life where you, you learn to trust and depend on the living God. 
But what I want to talk about this morning is, first of all, believing what really matters, and then, and then break it down. Well, what are some things that really matter? Now, when you believe, there's a couple things that are pretty crucial. One is, if you're going to believe in something, you better believe in that which is true. Would we agree with that? Your, your faith is only good as the object of your faith. If you, if you believe in something that is not true, you're, you're headed in the wrong direction, and, and you're going to experience the pain of trusting in something that will not hold you up. And, and then the other thing is, you can believe in things that are true, but it doesn't really matter. And I'm going to try to illustrate that before we get in the, in the passages this morning that I want to share with you. For instance, uh, uh, there are some things in life that I, I believe in. I don't particularly totally understand them, but I, I am convinced because of a variety of evidential reasons that I, I believe something is true. One of the things I believe in is uh, that there is such a thing as airplanes that can get actually off the ground. But when, when I think about that, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense at, at first thought. For instance, a, a Boeing 747, I was looking this up this week, the, their wingspan is 211 feet and 4 inches. Those 4 inches are very important. 211 feet, 4 inches. Uh, their, um, their length is 231 feet and, I believe, eight, um, 18 inches. And I don't know if you, how, if you know how heavy a Boeing 747 is, but with, it, with nothing in it, it's 435,000 pounds. And then at full capacity, it's 875,000 pounds. Now, I was reading, I guess there's various different Boeing 747s, and there's a, there's a larger version, and it, it's 975,000 pounds, almost a million pounds of weight. Now, unless you're an expert in aerodynamics, does that make any sense that that heavy of a, of a obstacle can actually get off the ground? But I would dare say most of us have come to that point, we're convinced that airplanes actually fly. And we believe it is true, we believe it's so true that we're willing to depend upon it, rely upon it, trust in it that we'll actually get on a plane to go from point A to point B. Because we're convinced that planes are not only true and then they can get off the ground, but we think it's pretty important because we want to get someplace fast. And so we'll trust in a plane to get on it and actually get there. So believing in airplanes, it's, it's true and it's also it's important. It changes how you live. And what you believe in should not only be true, but it ought to change how you live. Would you agree with that? Now, there are things that are, that are true that aren't necessarily that crucial or important. For instance, I was reading about a survey about... What is the favorite flavor of ice cream uh, around the world? And I was kind of interested in that because I'm kind of an ice cream fanatic. And so I was like, what is the favorite flavor of ice cream? And, and there is an answer to that. And the answer of that, it's vanilla. Now, I don't know about you. I, I, I'm convinced because of the, you know, the, the reliability of the survey that was done that that is actually true. The most favorite flavor around the world as far as ice cream is vanilla. But how important is that to me? Not one bit, because I still like chocolate better than vanilla, right? And, and so, so some things that are true might not be necessarily important to you because it, it doesn't really matter. It's not going to change how you live. I'm not going to order vanilla when I go to buy ice cream. But I want to talk to you about this morning. There are some things in life that, that are true and important that are crucial for us if we're really going to really understand what life is all about. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to take a text, and I've actually cut my message in half in case you wonder why I'm speaking so fast, because I would be speaking even faster if I took all that I had prepared for you this morning. I decided this morning that I'd, I'd just cut it in half. But, I, but I'm going to give you the main points about what some of the things were shared this week with us as we were up in Hume Lake. You know, what, what, what really is important? Let me give you two things. 
But what I want to tie it to a passage. In Matthew chapter 22, they didn't use this passage, but I want to use it. It's a fundamental passage, and many of you have heard this many times. But in Matthew 22, we have this. But the Pharisees heard that Jesus silenced the Sadducees. They gathered themselves together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question. In many ways, when you come to a place like this, I hope you understand, it's not only about the answers that we try to throw out at you, but it's also about the questions that are important. And, and God invites us to ask, ask questions, and he's got some pretty good answers. And so they asked Jesus, what, what, uh, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he, Jesus, said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. I want to submit to you that if you, and you don't need to put this down yet, but if you really want to know what's really important in life, it's just what Jesus said right here. What's most important in life? It's, it's God. If it is true that there is a God that's knowable, that's relational, that cares about us, loves us, and we can enter into a relationship with him, that, that's more important than anything else. Would we agree? If, if he created everything, he started everything all off, and, and he invites us into a relationship with him, there isn't anything more important than God. And it's also true. And then secondly, as he said, what's the second commandment? And it's, it's to love your neighbors yourself. So I would put it simply this. It's all about God, and it's all about people. So what's really important in your life? But I want to change the nomenclature and that kind of mirroring what we heard this last week is what's really important in life and what you ought to really believe in is family and friends. Now, our friendship circle can be always expanding. But, but in our circle relationships, and sometimes we use the word oikos here, your relational world, what's really important? It's your family and it's your friends. And, and, and if they're really important, you need to believe in them. You need to really believe in them. And, and then, so, of course, related to that, and if we were put it in order, I would put this one first, it, it's, it's your faith. In, in Scripture, faith is used both as a noun and a verb. Now, what I mean by that is, in a verb form, is who are you, uh, what, are you trusting in something or someone? Are you depending on someone or something? Are, are you relying on something or someone? And we can't go through life without depending on, relying on, and trusting in someone. You, you can't order whatever flavor of ice cream you like from any type of institution without trusting, relying, depending upon they haven't spit in that ice cream right before they gave it to you that they haven't put something in it that's going to hurt you physically. We're always trusting, relying, depending on, on something or someone. And, and what I would submit to you that what God wants us to, to be as a people is, is trusting, relying, depending upon God and, and the people in our life. Now, we, we know that God never fails us, but people do. But, but God still wants us to believe not only in him, but the people that he put in our, in our life circle to really care about and, and to be his channel of, ministering to. Well, what I want to do is I want to talk primarily about um, how God wants us to relate to the people in our life. But let me just talk for just for a moment about that primary relationship with God or our faith. And, and what I meant by it's a verb, it's also a noun, it's, it's what is your faith? You know, what, what is the content of what you put your trust in? 
And, and really what it is all about here, it's all about Jesus. And so have you come to that place where you're convinced that Jesus is God? But if we really apply the two things I was sharing with you to begin with, that if, if, you, if we're really believing in, in that which really matters, we believe it's true, but we also believe it's important. Now, for many of us here this morning, we've already come to that place where we said, I, I believe it's true about Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the, the truth, and the life. No one comes into a relationship with the Father, God, without me. And so Jesus is the truth. He's, he spoke the truth, and he was truth personified. But really, where it comes out in the daily experience of life is, do, do you believe that really matters? That he truly is God. Because if we really believe it, it will change how we live. Isn't that, isn't that true? If we believe something or someone is important, it will change how we relate to them and how we live our life. And Jesus put it this way, seek first the kingdom of God or the reign of God in your life, and then all these things will be added to you. So we, we want to show that we believe in our faith and believe in our God because it will change how we live. But what I want to talk to you this morning, we heard a speaker this last week, Sean McDowell, who who really talked about understanding God's will and living it out and finding God's path through your life. And, and that's really what it means. If you really believe in God, it will change how you live. And changing how you live, you want to discern what is his will and plan and path for your life. And that was going to be part of what I was going to share with you today, but we would never get through the message. All right? But what I want to talk today is about that secondary relationship, which is people. And it begins with your family, and it begins with your friends, it begins with the people that are around you that that you feel responsible for and they feel responsible for you and how, how much do you believe in them and how are you building into that relationship how does that change if you really believe in that they they are important then how much do we put into that relationship to make it work and relationship with people demand work don't they we, we don't do everything just naturally right and, and so it takes work at it so what I want to share with you, and actually, as I you know, heard these multiple messages this past week, um, you know, I didn't think they really had enough to say, so I actually bought their books. So um, I now have 3,030 books in my library because I bought five more books. So what I want to share with you is, is, is a, a way of communicating to people you really care about, your family and your friends. Uh, we had as uh, speakers in half the, the time up there... Uh, some counselors, Christian counselors called Michael and called. Their names are Michael and Amy Smalley. Uh, they're, uh, his dad, Michael, uh, Gary Smalley, was well, even much more well-known than him. But what he, what he wanted to share with us in a kind of creative way, and actually I'm taking more out of his book than what he shared with us, is, that, is, is how do we show to people that we believe in them? How do, we, how do we communicate to them that they're really important? And how do we show that no matter what happens, we are committed to that relationship, to do whatever we can on our end to make it work? Well, one of the devices he uses, he said, well, you, you need to, to communicate uh, with love. Okay, well, we all know that, but how does that, how does that, live, how is that lived out? Well, what he did is he took it as an acronym, and what I want to do is kind of share this kind of a simple way of putting those things together that, that uh, is a model for us to say, well, what are some things we could remember if we're going to communicate well with the people that we say we believe in, 
It is true that the relationships that we have are the most important things we have, and also that those people are important. But before we do that, I just want to say this. Um, as I think about family, this, this pastor, many of you know that, that as Alice and I celebrated our uh, 40th anniversary. And um, on that day, this is what I figured out, that on, our, on, on June 11th of this year, we have been married 14,600 days, which works out to 350,400 hours that we have spent 21,000, no, 21 million, yeah, 21 million, 24,000 minutes together. And we've produced four amazing children, well, at least three, three, ama- you know, four amazing children, <laughs> two grand, great grand, two grandchildren that are great, and, and one on the way. And, and, you know, when I think about that, we, you know, what, what, what is really important to me? You know, it is my family, and it is the people that I have opportunity to, to impact and have them impact me. And, and so as we think about what's really important, Jesus said it's all about loving God and then loving people. And the people that we can love best are the people who are around us the most. And then hopefully we, that, that spills out into more and more people. You know, Jesus was known to, to love people outside the relational scope of most people. He, he loved those far from him. He was a lover of sinners. But it began with loving his disciples, and it, and it began to fan out to people around him. Well, how, how can we show love? Well, if you want to take notes, here, here's where it comes from. All right. What's really important? Uh, faith and family. And under family, here, here's a way to communicate to family, and it's all about love. What's the, what's the first letter in the word love? It's the word letter L. And what he said there, that what's really important is that we need to learn to listen, to listen. And, you know, I, I value people listening every Sunday, you know. Even if you're not listening, if you look like you're listening, it's so encouraging to me, you know. Uh, and, and you think about it, if that's true when you're in a group setting, it is really true on an individual setting. It isn't well. Okay. Have, have you had many experiences where you're talking and you know the person you're talking to isn't listening? And let's even be more honest, can you, can you think of the many times where people are talking to you and you're not what? Listening. And, and so it really begins there. If, if we really care about people, what they're saying is important to us because it's important to them. Now what happens often is that we're more concerned about being heard than, than, um, than people hearing. I mean, we're more concerned about being heard than hearing, don't we? Uh, but there's a passage, and they didn't really use any verses, so I had to spend some time looking at verses. Well, they used some verses, but not, well, as pointed as I want to share with you this morning. So James chapter 1, verse 19 says this, This you know, my beloved brethren, that everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So, and then in verse 20 it says, For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Now, James was writing proverbial or wise sayings to the church of God, but I, and the church of God is the family of God, and so if the family, it's supposed to work in the family of God, it ought to work in your family as well, and the people that are around you. Uh, are, are you known as a person that is quick to hear, slow to speak, and, and you're not reactionary when you hear something you don't want to hear that you don't just explode? Because when we explode, very plain, it says, well, the anger, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So how, what kind of grade would we have in terms of how well we listen to people? 
Now, we, we know we listen with our ears, but we also listen with our posture. Are we, are we leaning in? Are we, are we distracted by something else? And we live in a culture now where we multitask. Anybody into multitasking? Um, man, we're, we're, we have so many things going on at the same time. But are, are we leaning in when people are speaking? And are we listening not only with our, her, with our ears, but with our heart? And are we more concerned about what they are saying than, than what we're about to say? That's huge, isn't it? You know, we do have two ears and, and one mouth, but we have a tendency to think it's the opposite, that we, we have more to say than we have to listen. And so you really affirm people. You really show that you love them when you really listen to what they have to say. So as you think about this in, in a global way, you'd say, well, as we think about us as a church, well, what, what, what does it take for us to be a great church? Are we a listening church? When we leave this place... Are we known that we really listen to people who, who are in our lives and, and we care about what they have to say? Because you, you, can, you, can, you can spell love L-O-V-E or you can begin to spell love with L-I-S-T-E-N. That you really listen to what people are having to say. But as you look at that, he, he, he went on and said like this, as you think about love communication, it particularly works well in spousal relationship. Um, and some of these things you have to kind of think through a little bit. But he said the other aspect here is that you really need to own it. You really need to own it. Because sometimes people say things you don't want to hear. Have you ever heard that expression? You know, that, yeah, I'm listening real well, and I heard what you say, and I don't like what you had to say. Now, when you don't like what somebody has to say, whose fault usually is it? It's their fault, right? Um, I just want to let you know, I'm never wrong in our house, but other people have struggled with this, you know. It, it, is that when, when, when people are saying things you don't want to hear and all of a sudden you respond and react what usually happens is is you're you're not owning how you were involved in that kind of response now it doesn't mean they totally in fault it might be you're minimally at fault but do you, do you look at your own life and say well how, how, how did I contribute to what went on here and, and that's a that's a humbling place to be isn't it in James chapter 5 verse 19 it says this confess your sins to one another which has the idea of, okay, the things you know that are wrong in your life, are you, are you open about what's, what's wrong in your life that's not making this work? But what I like as much as anything else is Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, which says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. When something is not going right, who do you look at first on a human level about what's the cause of this? Is it them or is it what? Is it me? Now, if you're anyway like me, my need thought it's their problem, not what? Not my problem. And God says, look, it's in the psalmist. He says, the psalmist says, search me, O God. Because we all have blind spots, don't we? We all have things we don't see about ourselves. And, and, and we're quick to judge others rather than judge ourselves. And it seems like Jesus had something to say about that. You know, if you're quick to judge at, at what might be a speck in somebody else's eye, you better get the what out of your eye. The two by four, the log. That's the other thing we did. We kind of jumped on logs and kind of twirled them while we were in the lake. You know, that was another thing we did at Hume Lake. But, you know, when you have something wrong in your life, you, you better get rid of it before you try to help somebody else. 
you know, one analogy that would be like this. When you think about life, do you see yourself basically more in the role of a waiter or a waitee? I don't know if that's the right way to say that. You know, a waiter is the person who comes to your table and, and gets your order. And I give you, I'm, I'm using the word waitee if you're the person giving the, uh, giving the order. Is that, is that the right way to use that term? Anyway, yeah, are, are you the one uh, being waited on or are you the one who are waiting on the other person? Now, a person who is a waiter, when they come to your table and they want to get your order, they want to make sure they're doing what well? well? Listening. Because if they're not listening, what you're asking for them to get to bring back to your table to eat, they're not going to get it right, are they? And so it's really important that they get it right. And, and a lot of times they'll write it down, and even when they write it down, so this is what you want, and if you have any particulars, they'll, they'll describe how you want the, the meat cooked or if there's any changes in the order. And they want to make sure that when they come back, they bring back what you want. And so they have to listen. Now, have you ever had the experience where they, they brought back something that wasn't yours? And, and if there's more at the table, often they, they don't necessarily memorize who got what, so they give you one plate. Well, that's not mine. This is the one over here. And, and all of a sudden, do, do they argue with you? No, you're the one who ordered that. You, you've got to eat that. I didn't, that was the person over there doing it. Did they, do they do that? No, they, they, they oh, oh, I'm sorry. I, 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 let me change the plates for you. And, and so the waiter, they realize that's their role, to listen well. And when they don't get it right, they don't defend themselves, do they? I mean, that, they would lose their tip, wouldn't they? Okay, They just, oh, I'm sorry. I, let me get back and change it. Now, when, when we think that we're the person being waited on, you know, we, we, it, it, we often don't really care what's going on in their life. You know, so it's all about giving them the message. Our, and then also when they get back, if they do make a mistake, what's our response? You know? We're usually angry at them. We're upset. The, the food's going to be, you know, everybody else is eating when your order has to be changed. It, it changes dramatically how we see our role. Are we, are we the person more serving or being served? When we realize it's our role to serve rather than to be served, it will change our relationships with our family and our friends and the people we care about. And, and part of that is that we own what we do. And there have been at times when I've been waited on and they come back with the wrong food item. I realize, you know, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't speak very clearly. I didn't explain it. Or I might have left some things out and I thought they, they just would read my mind assuming this is how I want, wanted the meat to be cooked or the order presented. And so you can look at it from a variety of different ways because there are times where people are serving you, but when, when it goes wrong, are you owning maybe how you contributed for it not working out? Does that make sense? So as, as we really consider people important, we, we want to realize it's all, it's all about love. And one way to look at love practically is that we need to listen, be quick to hear. And, and we need to own it. Search me, God, and see if there would be anything wrong in what I've done. Well, there's, there's another word in love and another letter in the word love. And how they took it is the, is the, word, is the idea is to verify. Now, verify doesn't bring a lot of word pictures in my mind, but to verify how he took it was this, is that you need to honor the person in your life that you care about, the people in your family circle, your, your friendship circle. Do, do you really honor them? Do you lift them up? Now, if you want a passage to throw that around with, is in, in Romans chapter 12, 10, it says this, be devoted to one another in love and it says, give preference to one another in honor. Now, 
the idea there is that when we think about relationships, so often we have a tendency to more be concerned about how they're look, seeing you rather than how you're seeing them. Isn't that true? I mean, that, that person hasn't been giving me any respect. That, 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 that person doesn't uh, value my opinion. Or that person doesn't, doesn't really care about how I'm feeling. Have you ever, those thoughts ever crossed your mind? And, and what he was saying here, okay, that, that's true. There's, there's places for discussion on that. But what's our initial response? Not, not uh, how do they think about me, but how do I think about them? You know, he says, give preference to one another in honor. Which is the idea there is you, you're thinking first about how, how do they perceive the relationship? How do, how do they feel valued? How do they understand how important they are? But it's so quick to do the opposite, isn't it? Give preference to one another in honor. Validate them. And part of that is this, sometimes is acknowledging their pain. You know, I feel your pain, right? I can understand why that would really upset you. I can understand how, how, uh, how bothered you are by that. I, I, I can really see that you're, that you're upset because I haven't been listening to you or I haven't been owning my part in the whole problem or whatever it might be. Validating, honoring the person that you believe is really important and believe in and, and demonstrate that actively. I was at a, a funeral yesterday of um, well, some of you have met, many of you have met him his name is Denny Clemenson. He's six foot six, and he was my youth pastor when I was growing up in Downey. And his his mom passed away um, at the end of August, and so they had, they had a funeral uh, yesterday. And it was, it was really interesting. It was a great experience of just seeing some people I hadn't seen in decades. Uh, but but at this funeral, uh, one he 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 did a kind of a not a kind of he did a takeoff on his mom's name. Doris means gift in her. And her middle name, interesting, I don't think I've, I think I've heard it, but I don't know, I, n- I had never met anybody with this middle name. It was Evangeline. Does anybody know Evangeline's out there? Evangeline was her, we got one up there, surely knows somebody, Evangeline. And Doris being gift, and Evangeline is like the word evangelical, or it is good news. And so she was a gift of good news to the family. And what was so interesting, it was, it was a long service. It was a two-and-a-half-hour funeral service. And the, the reason is they just invited the whole family just to speak so many stories over and over and over about how the, the, the mother had made an imprint, not only on her immediate kids, but her grandkids and, and relatives. And she was just a, a, a woman who always opened up her home for people in need. And when she did that, it validated the people that she cared about. It wasn't done just in a way of, of saying she cared about them, but she cared about them. One story was interesting that they, when they, essentially when they came across, their family came across from the Midwest to California, they were all packed in one car, and they only made it halfway, and they had to stop halfway, to, and the men had to work so they could get enough gas to get to, to, to California. So they lived in, and when they got to California, and they, 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 they stopped in Long Beach, and for them to live in Long Beach, they pitched a tent right by the, the know, off the road, and they lived at a tent for a period of time, and they got some work, and you know that was the story of those days. And 
And when they finally were able to get a home, they, they built this gigantic mansion. It was, it was a two-bedroom house with one bath and 853 square feet. Well, at this point, they, they, they came to the point where they had the parents and, and three children. And one of the relatives had sold their house but didn't have another place to live. And so for a year, they brought in uh, their other family, which had the two uh, parents and three kids. So they had 10 people in an 853-square-foot house that had two rooms for a year. Now, I, I dare say to you that that extended family, that oikos, that relational world, felt honored because you had six kids, four adults, one bathroom. There were people living in the garage. So as we think about loving that which is important to us, it, it means that we're going to validate them in practical ways as well. The last letter, and it kind of relates to what I just said here, is E, and he, he had the idea of express. Express it. If you really care about people, you're, you're going you're gonna to communicate it in so many different ways. And if I were to th- throw a verse out at you in relationship to that, I, I would take Proverbs 27, verse 5, and it says this, Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Now, we all come from different family backgrounds or even relationships with people where, where you know, I've talked to many people and they say, well, I, I knew my parents loved me, but they never what? They never said it. Now, they said it in other ways because they provided a home, they provided food, they, they worked hard, they, they were there. Uh, and, and so we can express it without words, but I would say express it in every way possible. Because isn't that an amazing proverb? Better is open rebuke. Better th- is express criticism. Because if you criticize someone, at least you think they're important enough to what? To criticize. Yeah, you know, there are many people out there that I barely know, and I'm not going to waste my time criticizing them because they could what? They could care less what I have to say. And if, if they do care what I say, they're not going to change anyway. So why, why waste my what? My breath. But when you do care about someone, that you are going to at times get into their lives and say some things they don't want to hear. And the reason you do it is because you care about them. And, and so I, wanna, I don't want to always just put a, a, you know, a fancy bow on this and everything that you do in relationship is going to be you know, nice and sweet and, and you never have to deal with issues. But as we think about being involved in people's lives and caring about them, caring enough to confront at times that, that needs to be in the context of many times expressing how much you care about them, how much you love them, how valuable they are to you. Better is open rebuke. Better is something than what? Nothing. Some have said this, that... that Really, the opposite of, of, of love is not hatred, it's, it's indifference. It's apathy. Say, like, I, I, I could care less. So as we think for this morning about what, what, what really matters, what, what really does matter to you? And, and I would hope, and we didn't really preach on it this morning, but I would hope more than anything else, your relationship with God, your faith matters. 
And it matters because you're convinced it's true, but also has so much great value to your life. And you believe it so much that it changes how you live. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things shall be, shall be added. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. So, so as we think about what is really important in believing and what is really important, trusting, relying, depending upon, what we believe about God is, is fundamental. But as we think about our relationship with God being fundamental, then, it, then it, it flows down to the family and the friends and the people in our relational world. And, and we, we want to demonstrate that they, they matter to us by, by how we love. Uh, are we good listeners? Do, do, do we care about what they're saying more than what we have to say? Secondly, do we own what we do that messes up the relationship? It's, it's, it's easy to point fingers, but have you first pointed the finger back at yourself? Search me, oh God, and know my heart, and, and see if there be any anxious thoughts within me, and then, then lead me in the everlasting way. Lord, help, help me take the two-by-four out of my eye before I look at taking the speck out of somebody else's eye. Own, own your part in the dysfunction in the relationship. Validate. Give preference to one another in honor. Romans 12.10. Be devoted. Be earnest in love. Be giving it all you have to the point where you are seeing their value as more important to be lifted up than your own value. And then... Don't keep it to yourself. Express it. Better is open rebuke than, than love that is concealed. Let, let it be known. I'll close with this. The, the, and this is more out of their book than their lectures. But in their lectures, it was interesting. Michael and, and Amy Smalley, um, their, their, their whole uh, courtship was kind of an amazing one. Uh, Amy was a cheerleader at Baylor University and and he, she knew nothing about Michael, so Michael said, there's only one way I can get her attention. I'm going to become a male cheerleader. That, that's for Steve Morris back there. Okay, so, uh, so he did everything possible to somehow get, get her attention. And, and, um, and they had this whirlwind, you know, courtship, and, and they got married after knowing each other for, I think, uh, less than a year. And, and then they were so excited about what was going on. They both just had already committed their lives to, uh, to uh, Christian counseling, and they were going to, their whole pursuit of that, and that's where they ended up. But as they... As they got married, uh, it didn't start out as well as they thought it would. They had this two-week honeymoon started, and it lasted only five days because they couldn't stand each other. <laughs> then after a year, after they got to know each other really, really well, they were looking at, well, I, we don't believe in divorce, but maybe murder is okay. So, you know, they, they, that's what, and so within the first year, these who were committing their lives to counseling had to go into counseling. They, they had to get their marriage fixed. And, and what they share from their perspective is, is not the things that they had learned out of a book or the things that they had learned from uh, all their courses they had taken. They, they had learned all these things from the mistakes that they had, had gone down. The, their personalities were exact opposite. One was an avoider, as they describe it, and one was a confronter or enhancer. One, when problems came, they ran, the person ran from it, and the other person always wanted to confront it. Interesting, from my perspective, the kind of the roles were, were reversed a little bit. It was, it, was, it was Michael, the man, who avoided confrontation, and it was the woman who was always confronting it. And all this mixture was, was volatile. 
And so they had to learn the lessons that they were going to be teaching others to say, how, how can you make this most difficult relationship, living with a person who is diametrically opposite to your own personality and your temperament and bent, and make it work? And they said, well, you, you learn, need to learn to believe in the relationship. And if you really believe that this is a relationship that God has created, and the institution of marriage is not a social product, it's, it's rooted right in the beginning of God's word where the two become one. You believe it's true that God has ordained marriage. And then thirdly, it's so important that God wants that relationship to stay together. And you better figure out how. That's putting God first and that relationship under his leadership to the point where you do whatever it takes to express love in that relationship. Learning to listen, learning to own your own issues that mess up that relationship, honoring or verifying the person that you are connected to, and then learning to express it in every way possible so that person knows you love them. Let's pray together. Father, I pray as we've just looked at things that really matter, that we ought to believe in. I would pray for anyone here that needs to get to first base, which is knowing Jesus in a personal way, that they might recognize it's, it's easy, but it's, it's simple, but it's not easy. It's all about admitting your need to know God in a personal way and turning from that which keeps us from knowing him, turning from those things that are wrong, that are sinful, believing that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again on our behalf, and then committing to follow and believe and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then, Father, for us, we pray that after we make that, that step, that we might see the people in our lives as gifts from you, that we want to do whatever is possible for us to show how much we love them in practical ways of listening and owning what's wrong in our lives, validating and honoring them and expressing it in practical ways. Help us to, to experience the love of God and share that love of God to others. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.